Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week's cast includes Lisa Baker King, Alexandra Fultz, we will call her Allie today, Alan Anderson and Bernie Shong, and so excited to have all of them with me here today. And if you're wondering, hey, how do I find out about these brilliant people? You go to our website, everydaymindfulnessshow.com. There's show notes for every show. You can link to each of the cast members and learn all about them. This week, we're talking about writing, and I was reading a book that inspired me to really think about this process from a mindfulness perspective, and so I'm going to read a quote from that book. The quote is, the book has a spine, a dharma, but you don't know what its dharma is until you begin to write it. Forget about all the things you said to yourself about your book at the beginning of the project or what you told your editor or what you wrote in your brilliant book proposal. No, the book has its own dharma, which will slowly reveal itself to you, and then you have a choice. You can choose the book's dharma. And that quote is from the book, The Great Work of Your Life by Stephen Cope. Allie, what does this quote mean to you? So as an author of a children's book, I was inspired to write this book 16 years ago. And when the dharma of the book came to me, I was a full-time nurse practitioner. I wasn't married. I never wanted to write and never um, was aspiring to be a writer. And in a way, the cosmic order of the story came to me, but I was pretty sure I couldn't do it. Although at the exact same time, I felt like I had to. So it took me 16 years to align with the Dharma of the book. And the choice that I made at the time was to overcome my own ego to create the story that wanted to be made. And so I feel like the Dharma, the book, what comes through you is truly a choice. Do you align with something greater than you to be the scribe to it? Or do you succumb to, I don't know, what I feel is sometimes the restrictive ways that our mind thinks we can or can't do something? I, well, I love how you said there that, that, that I, do you choose to write the story that's sort of meant to be written versus what your mind has in it? That's that Dharma concept that's right there. So you took 16 years, and I love that you share that. Because I know within this call, we have people that have written books incredibly quickly, 
And it's good to have both extremes to show this can come about in different ways and hearing our Dharma can happen in different ways. So for the rest of our, our cast on today, how did it hit you? How did your Dharma come to you? Or how did you struggle to listen to the Dharma throughout the process? You know, for, for me, I, I knew I had, and like Ali, um, mine's a children's book, I had this book on my heart, and that's the only way I can really describe it. It was just, it was just on my heart. What it was, I really had no idea. And I kept trying to go through all the logical ways that you're supposed to write a book, right? Do an outline, you do a book proposal, you do this process, if you will. And it just, and I loved, I loved what Ali said about you, you have a choice and you have to watch the restrictions. Because for me, when I was doing that, what came out of it was read very inauthentically. It didn't read the way that I felt my heart said it should read. I'm really big on operating from a perspective of what our strengths are and really embracing that. And I wasn't doing that at all. (laughs) I think in pictures and how I articulate those pictures as, you know, through life as has been through words. And so what I did is I just sat back and I said, okay, Lisa, what is What's the way you operate your best? What is the natural way you operate? So I sat down and I closed my eyes and I let the pictures of the story come to me. And when that happened, the words started flowing. And anytime it got hard, so I kind of watched for this word, you know, it's like, oh, this is hard. Anytime it got really hard, like stressful, I knew I was not operating from a place of strength. And I would put it down and I would walk away. That's interesting for me. Uh, I wrote this book starting about four years ago. It had different titles at times. The uh, first one was Buddhist Wisdom for When You Feel Broken because I had gone through some very big difficulties. And after I wrote it, I passed it by a number of people who I trusted. And sometimes I didn't like hearing what I heard. I heard some things that I didn't like. I wasn't particularly moved by any kind of praise. I learned to realize that I needed to change this book, and it's had about three different incarnations by this time, and now it's entitled uh, When Bad Lands. And this, Ooh, like, that's powerful, yeah. <laughs> I like the title. That's a very important part. But yeah. for the most part, it was just learning to let go of my idea of what that book should be and yep. it had its own path. Now I'm finally convinced that this is the book that should be writ- that is being written. Right. I'm doing the good job of it. And it just took a long time to figure out this is where the book wanted to go. It really guided me once I let go of trying to trying to make something happen. Hey, hey, Alan, how did you do that? How did you let go of whatever it is you needed to let go of? Like, was there a defining moment for you, or? No, I think it was an ongoing sense of just stopping. Just stop and let it sit for a minute and then come back to it. And you realize, oh, that's not exactly where I want this to be going. And I think I just got feedback that was from my own self, actually, that was interesting as time went on and I could just look at it freshly. I totally agree. And in the process over for the book that I wrote over 16 years, I actually published one aspect of the book and I knew 16 years ago, I actually had a vision of the book, but I, 
I wasn't convinced that I could do it. So <laughs> it was amazing what myself did. I mean, I created a little book. I thought, oh, maybe I'll just make it a picture book. And then I made a small chapter book and I knew that it was going to end up being what it is now. And like you, Alan, I, even when I created those products deep within me, I felt a sense of, I wasn't complete. Like it wasn't whole. And I wanted to get it over with because it was hard. It was very, very hard. And I wanted to be done. I wanted my responsibility to over, my contract complete. And every time I rushed it or I, I, I stepped ahead of my own being, like my ego sort of played the cards out and tried to end the game, I, I, it never worked. I love that because if we have an intention, I mean, deep within us or a calling, I don't think, I truly don't think, I mean, we can, get in, we can get ahead of ourselves and we can cross our own paths and block it. But in the end, it's never going to die, I, I don't think. So I think that, that, that self-reflection and that being honest with ourselves, like, wow, I'm not done. There's no way. And I have to work harder. I have to go back at it. I've got to show up for it in a different way. It's that awareness and that consciousness about what stirs within us. And it's a process. It's every day, reach, you know, checking in. I think that's huge. I once worked with a ghostwriter and there are ghostwriters and it can work. You have to have the right relationship. I have friends that have done it. They love it. What I found happened was that the words that were coming back to me did not sound like me. It did not, it did not feel authentic. And, and I have 10 chapters of this book that's, that has been sitting for two years because I know it's not it's not the right voice. Something's not there. Now that doesn't mean that don't put that on the ghostwriter at all. I think what it comes down to is whatever you put out there, you got to love, you got to love this, right? And what happens is there's a world out there when it comes to books that says, no, you just got to sell it. And so there's this pressure of, do I get the book out to sell or do I really bleed my heart authentically and speak my voice? Those are two very different books. They are two very different books. And I think, I know for my own self, the way that I feel now, I always, I feel like this book, you know, I'm literally, I'm, I stand behind it. You know, it, it, speaks right. for, it speaks for itself. And there's nothing that, other than showing up on its behalf or looking to find it a place to land, if it doesn't have the voice that you can hear, Mike, then it's like, it's really difficult to hear it and help guide it along the way, you know, if, it, if it's not speaking in a way that resonates with you. I, I blocked myself from even selling it, I feel like. I literally self-sabotaged it, but I wasn't realizing I was doing it. Right. Your gut your gut was saying something was wrong, so then your intuition was, was sabotaging the stuff that wasn't at the completed product. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I love it when somebody come up to me and say, hey, when I read your book, I swear I'm hearing your voice. Like, I swear that's, that you're just talking to me right next to me. I can hear the voice. That, to me, is a marker. Like, you want to be able to say, "Does is this, could they literally hear me right now? Or do they say, wow, this is really well written. You bring up some great points. Th- that's a different reaction than I hear you. I, I can, I just can hear you. They're two very different results. Now you want both. You want, I can hear you and there's, and I love the brilliance or the takeaways, but it's sometimes you, there are people that go, oh, I got the takeaways and all, but they're not hearing you. It's just a very logical book that's helpful for them. That's a different writing experience. I would think. 
You know, Mike, I, I was looking at the quote itself and read a little bit by Stephen Cope about this book and about the quote. And I realized how much of this allowing your book to manifest as something specific. And I think he called something the intersection of the gift and the times. Like when you can actually bring what you ha- what is the special thing that you have to bring? This is the idea of Dharma, according to Stephen Cope. What is your special thing? And it's time for you to bring it out. And it's time for you to bring it out now. And what a huge challenge that is. I found that to be really inspiring. Yeah, and that is the heart of the book. You're right. And it's very much his use of the word Dharma is different than a lot of other people's uses of the word Dharma. Because you're right. He's referring to one's unique ability. That gift you have to share with the world and the world needs to to receive that gift. And so I think it begs the question of, you know, we mentioned earlier, we were bringing up that, you know, you write an outline, do all this thing. Ali brought that up and we're all given that. I remember the first book I wrote, there was a 60 page book by Larry Wingett that literally every page of the book told you how to write your book. And that's, and it gave you the, the basic idea. Now give credit here without reading that simplistic approach. I don't know that I ever would have wrote my first book. Uh, So it was very, very helpful. But I think some people unfortunately take that as a way to just produce volume versus quality, which is not what Larry was saying, but people abuse that and think there's this formula out there that can help me and I'm just going to pop, 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 pop versus what's going to be the greatest impact of my voice being shared with the world. When I started writing, I had no plan. I read no book. I, I had no idea what I was doing. And the book that I created is the book I created. And I have to remind myself that no matter what is created in the world, whether someone created it to mass produce it and get it out quickly, or someone like myself who literally unfolded in the process of writing it, it was a very personal personal experience and I, very different than maybe someone who's mass, you know, who's quickly getting something out there as a product to sell. The world is made up of all kinds of people at different places of awareness. And how can we know what's best for anyone out there, right? We have to trust that these books find their audience, whether they're mass produced or something like, you know, that something that I created. Well, that's that you're sharing that authentic process. I'm curious for everyone listening and in our cast here, what was your writing approach? Bernie, How do you have a system that helps you get to that place of Dharma, to that voice? Do you have a regular routine that you follow when it comes to writing? Is there something you utilize to help that process take place? I seem to have one now. I just want to pause because I got to love the fact you said, I seem to have one. I love the, the acknowledgement <laughs> of, you know, maybe in five years, I'm going to look back and say, this wasn't the one, but it feels like the one right now, right? I mean, that, well, I think a lot of us have been there. Which is, yeah, which is why I made sure to preface my statement by saying that. And I, and I want to piggyback on what Ali said, because when I first attempted to write my very first book, it was about 2011, and I had just started figuring out the social media, right? <laughs> Facebook, oh, Twitter, yeah. and all that stuff. God. And at that time, everybody was writing a book. Everybody was do, you know, creating a big project. So you know, it, I'm notorious for being somebody who likes to do something big and announce it to the world and then freak out later about how to build the thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I remember announcing to my, my community, my audience, I'm like, I'm going to go write a book. I'm going to go in hiding for five, six months. I'm going to have a book by the time I'm done. And when I get it back, wow, it's going to be beautiful, you know, and I didn't write a book. 
in that time, I was so caught up in the how-to and then my own personal strife that was going on at the time, and I was moving, and there was so much going on. And in hindsight, I realized I had to forgive myself because writing a book isn't just about saying you're going to create something on a piece of paper. What I learned was I had to live the life worth writing about. That was the lesson right. that I learned in that 2011 uh, epic fail. And uh, several years later, and Mike, you've heard this before, for the entire year of 2013, I wrote an essay every single week because I was overcoming depression and feelings of wanting to give up in the world because I had been alienated from my son. Little did I know that 12 months later, by the end of 2013, I would have a manuscript of over 52 essays and I think it was like 65,000 words by the end of it and I turned it into a book. I had no clue while I was writing that this would become you know a product like that. So so to kind of answer your, your question I do have a system now. I have I schedule writing and then I also have an actual format that I use when I actually do write different chapters chapter by chapter but in terms of allowing the content to come to me Again, it's living the life worth writing about. I love that. I Beautiful. I had that same experience now four years. It'll be four years ago this summer. The Boy Scouts have a, a special trip that's called Philmont Scout Ranch in the mountains of New Mexico, where they go and they live in the wild for two weeks. And I mean in the wild, at elevation, everything's on your backpack, your food, your survival, everything. And I got to go as one of the parents. And, and I don't journal so much. And every night I'd be in my tent because I, I don't crash as easy as others do. I tend to have that high energy, that nonstop brain. <laughs> so I would sit down to start writing because there's nothing to do in a tent, right? You're in a tent. Uh, and, and I was writing nonstop. And at the end of the trip, I said, I looked back and said, why was I doing that? Because every day I was living a life worth writing. And I told myself yeah. that after that week, now I'm not going to always be climbing mountains in New Mexico at altitude. So how every day do I live a life worth writing? Mm. Right. There it is. Wow. That's really, really well said. I have a question actually for everybody here. Was there a point in your writing where you realized that you had the confidence arose to make you realize this? I do have a very special offering to give here. Like I have a gift at this time. Did anybody, anybody really go through that at all and realize there was a point, like a point of confidence to say, wow, I have something unique to offer? I, I can say I did. Well, what happened for me was I did the work, started this work when I was in college and then did it full time for like three years and then stepped out of it and came back to it like eight years later. So when I sat down to write my book, there had been 11 years of me wanting to share it with the world. So I'm a little odd in the fact I wrote it in 10 days, uh. the, the very first book, because it just, once I started writing and, and all I did was say, oh, I want to write about this. And then I put the pieces back together in the book, but I didn't actually follow a, a, an outline. I would sort of write this concept. Okay, there's a chapter. And then this concept, there's a chapter. I just need to figure out the order of this arrangement. But what happened was once I just started to write, it did just, it was felt like it was just 
this sounds so grotesque, but vomiting out of me in the best of ways. <laughs> um, and I know you shouldn't say Lovely. vomit is a wonderful thing, but it was just spewing out and I loved it. And I couldn't stop writing. I mean, I couldn't stop writing for those 10 days. And I think the confidence, Alan, that you ask about came in the fact that it was just flying. There's a nicer word. It was flying out of me. That built a confidence like, ooh, I can't stop. I can't stop. And you get excited. And I think that brings this confidence level. Well, for me, I did two things. One, much of the writing I have in my book, The Year of the Brave Bear, I repurposed from content I'd previously shared with my newsletter community. So I'd already received some feedback for some of the, if we'll call it chapters, some of the chapters that were the most popular. People were already replying to me. People were already sharing it. People were already talking about it. So I knew that it was good stuff, and that's why I did repurpose it in the book. The other thing, too, is I was also touching on topics that my community was already asking me about, you know, certain things that they were having trouble with in terms of, you know, the coaching that I did with them or the teachings that I taught. These were things I already knew people were having issues with, whether it was as a positive thing they wanted to strive towards it or whether it was a negative thing they wanted to break through certain blocks. And so the confidence for me was I'm already providing information and service to people who already want what I have to offer. So the confidence piece comes from they really need to have this in their hands. So I better hurry up and get this done so they can get it. That's a cool way to create urgency. Does does anybody here have specific strategies, techniques, tools that you, you, you used for writing? For instance, this weekend, Rory Vaden, who wrote the bestseller, New York Times bestseller, Take the Stairs, was uh, was sharing on social media with some other with a, a, a group of us speakers about writing. And what he shared was that the first time he wrote his book, he didn't like anything he was writing, all right? I'm paraphrasing. But then he got on the phone with somebody that really frustrated with him, and he got off the phone and started writing like he was writing to them, sort of annoyed, ticked off, and it was the best stuff he had ever written in his life. And so his rule is to write to a specific person every time he's writing. Whatever it is, he pictures a person like he's talking to them and it just flies out like a conversation. It's way more powerful writing. I thought, oh, I love, love, love that because you sort of just let it out there. Does everybody else have techniques or strategies specific that you use when writing? I don't write regularly at all unless I can feel it starting to come through me. I don't. I don't even sit down and try. And I know over the years, the best way to kind of get that flowing would be to walk. So I have trails outside my house. And so if I knew that I had a day clear, my schedule was clear, it was a great day to write. I still wasn't convinced that I would actually sit down, but I would start the day with a walk and I would be outside with my dogs on the trail in quiet and it would begin to stir. And when I would come home, literally, some days I would come home, and once I could feel it coming, I would just sit down and just try to write what I saw coming to me. It's a fiction story that I wrote, and so the imagination would start flowing and literally lose time. Like, mm-hmm. it would be 3 o'clock, and my kids are coming up the driveway, and I'm sitting here, and, and I don't even know where the last six hours went. Mm. I echo what Ali says. In addition to the walking in nature, I would say even during showers or even doing dishes. Yes. yes. Something about that water. <laughs> something yeah. about that that really yeah, helps with the creative juices flowing. Meditation, Mike, I've also shared with you the intuitive channeling that I do at times too. But something really practical for everybody that I that I teach. Um, who do want to start writing in general, not just writing books, but is 750words.com. 
if you guys have ever used that tool before, it's pretty much like a spinoff of the morning pages from The Artist's Way, where you get in the habit of writing at least 750 words every single day to flex that writing muscle. So that's probably the biggest piece of advice I give people is to at least have a tool like that to use as accountability. I have a, a wonderful blessing at this point. I invested many years ago in a retreat center called now called Windhorse Retreat Center. It's about an hour from my house and I get to use it. And the best time I have writing is when I go there and I don't have my phone on. There's no internet connection. It's not my refrigerator. So all my stuff is not there. And that allows me to just really settle down and stop taking care of all the peripheral stuff that's just floating around and to and to sit down and write, you know, such a wonderful uh, environment, you know, in nature and have all this time and not being attacked by my little thoughts that are going on constantly. <laughs> There's less to maintain. That's been very helpful to me. For me. I get to know my characters first. Before I write any word about the story, I think about what my characters look like. I know their backstory inside and out. I want to know what they like. I want to know what drives them nuts. I want to know what they eat for breakfast. And I put them in situations. So I'll come up with new characters and I'll write their backstory, and then I'll think, well, what if this character and this other character went out to lunch? What's that conversation like? So I really spend a lot of time just almost like with a warm blanket around me and snuggling up and just getting to know who they are. Um, mm -hmm. I want to know their aspirations. I want to know what they dream about. And I think that when I do that, the end result is when, when I have that fiction, that, that story, and I'm a fiction writer, the characters really know each other. And I think that even if I never, ever, in an interview, a podcast, whatever it is, even if I never talk about what the characters eat for breakfast, I think that resonates in, in the connection that people have with the characters in the story that just seems to be a much more level depth to those characters. I love that. And in theater, we're taught to do that. When when I was in acting, you know, was, you had to know way more about your character than the, than the story actually revealed anywhere. You had to dig deep because that lets you get to such a deeper level of the presence of that that being in the story. So that's just great, yep. great stuff. Yes. What I love about what we just heard there was, Bernie, you gave us the very practical right every day to the follow the intuition to it's all over the place. And that's the cool thing. You don't have to follow a Chris Clark Epstein, a friend of mine who's just an amazingly gifted speaker and trainer and, and writer talks about everyday write. And it could just be just get up and wrote to start by just writing what you had for breakfast or what mood you're in, but just start to write. Now, once you start to write mind thoughts come to your mind, just follow where it goes. And I always liked what Chris said, and I'm not always good about this, but when I do it, I enjoy it, which is right. In other words, to type is a different mind's different side of the brain than actually using a pencil or pen with yes. your hand is. So the creativity yes. comes from the side of the brain that uses the pen or pencil to write. The logic is more likely to come from typing. So it's a different experience in writing that can be so important. The, the four of you have been fantastic. What book, now obviously Stephen Cope's The Great Work of Your Life is what inspired this conversation for me. What are great books that either any of you have read relating to writing or that creative process that really has inspired you or helped you? I'm not sure what the actual name is, but uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book. Big Magic? 
Thank you. I think it's that one. Yes. And then also her TED Talk, Your Elusive Genius. I think it's called something like that. All right. But so she's- big magic. I'm just saying that louder because Allie said it in the background, but that's what you were yes, saying, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Yes, very good. Magic. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yes. Right. No, not a problem at all. And she she writes about how this came up in another conversation too, Mike, in one of our other shows, where she talks about how you allow the creative genius to work with you, right? It's not just about you birthing the book. Something you know greater is at work with us to allow us to manifest the book. So absolutely a very inspirational talk. And her book is equally amazing. Mine is not really a, a book, although there are books on the topic, but it's more of a tool um, and that's Colby, K-O-L-B-E. So um, what that is is a, a way to learn about yourself and how you operate naturally when you are striving. So not what you do for you know relaxation or anything like that, but how you operate very naturally from a striving standpoint. And what that does, it just helps you be able to write that book to create more effectively in a way that's authentic to who you are. It's funny, uh, this is not a writing book, but I think Lisa might appreciate this. I've been reading Kate Atkinson lately, and in terms of like, care, like I'm watching how she gives talks outwardly about what's going on, what the, what the character is saying, what's going on, but then there's also these little short jumps into what the person is thinking. So it's like these worlds going on in writing that talks about the, uh, what's outward, and then what the little dialogue, the inner dialogue is that we are always mm-hmm. having inside ourselves. And it's so much fun for me. I, I often read that before I start writing to remember how much fun and fluidity, fluidity there is in telling a story from the outside. And then all those, that world of things right. that goes on inside our minds. Do I have to have a book? No, you can be any resource, anything. <laughs> well, I would say that what inspires me is the kid inside myself. And I think that the the child within who is so imaginative, who can play, who is so aware and so enlightened and so uh, not affected by dogma. And <laughs> I think that's that's what inspires me to write. I love it. The, the four of you have given so much to think about. For me, the book is On Writing by Stephen King. It's and the yeah. audio book. Because you hear Stephen King and his language, his attitude, his energy is just, it's incredible. So for me, that's the book. I want to thank all four of you for joining us. For everyone listening out there saying, hey, how do I find out about these brilliant people? Lisa Baker King, Allie Foltz, Alan Anderson, Bernie Zhang. You find them at everydaymindfulnessshow.com along with some really cool downloads and all that we have on there for you. And until next time, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.